0: Hello and welcome to the We Are Guernsey podcast where we bring you interviews with leaders from the global finance industry as well as news and developments from Guernsey's financial services sector. My name is Brandon Ashplant and I am Senior Strategy and Technical Executive here at Guernsey Finance. Guernsey is a leading global finance centre working with clients and businesses across the globe to deliver industry leading expertise, products and services. The success of the industry here is underpinned by economic substance, political stability and asset security, and we are committed to the cause of sustainable finance. To find out more about Guernsey's success in sustainable finance, tune into our sister podcast, The Sustainable Finance Guernsey Podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Samuel Bosenket. Sam has recently been a panellist at Guernsey's Private Wealth Forum, where he sat on the Changing Families panel discussing the globalised nature of the typical high net worth family, the changing attitudes and investment strategies as a result, and the role of jurisdictions such as Guernsey in all of this. Sam is Family Office Services Director at Schroeder's Family Office Services team, where he both runs family offices and provides additional resources to single family offices. He has worked in the industry for the last 10 years and has extensive experience with multi-jurisdiction families, philanthropists, complicated holding structures, and managing personal interests. Sam is a fellow of the ICAEW, a chartered member of the CISI, and an affiliate member of STEP. So without further ado, welcome Sam.
1: Morning Brandon, thank you very much for that, um, that introduction.
0: Very, very good to have you on today. Um, so firstly, obviously i Done a bit of an intro there. Um, just tell us a bit about yourself um, and your career to date, um, you know, from, from your perspective.
1: Of course, sure. So, um, as you said, I work for Schroeder's Family Office Service. Um, we are looking after approximately two hundred families spread across thirty jurisdictions, and these families range from inherited wealth through to entrepreneurs. Uh, you won't be surprised to hear that no two of them are alike. Um, And we provide a different range of services to all of those. But um, how how did I get here? How did I end up doing this job? I I did a degree in natural sciences at Durham University. Uh, For me, that was maths and physics. Um, And then went on to become an accountant afterwards. I uh, trained with a firm called Blick Rothenberg in London. And what was fascinating about that is I worked with a lot of medium-sized family-owned businesses, doing their accounting and doing their auditing and really seeing how the the nuts and bolts of, of family business worked. After that, I moved into investment banking, where, particularly, I worked for BNP Paribas and Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, both in London. And um, that's where I first started to interact with family offices. Uh, they, a lot of those were my clients, and I was providing various products and services to them for their day-to-day activities, from hedging to investment products. Um, stayed there for, in that sector for a while, and then about ten years ago, so ten years ago, I joined a family office called Sandair. Um, Sandair is one of the first multi-family offices in, in Europe, uh, and that's why I started looking after families full-time. So I'll be looking after some of those families right through to today. Um, it was about three years ago during, during lockdown that um, Schroder's acquired Sandair um, and became uh, what was called Schroder's Family Office Service. If you like, Schroder's uh, recognized that there was a need and, and a desire to, to offer a service in that space. Sandra had a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge for looking after families over the, over the last 20 years it had been running. And, and really what it did is it brought together that knowledge and experience with, with Schroder's resource, its firepower, its, its large institutional offering um, to offer something quite unique for families. And, and for me, that's been a fantastic journey to, to go on from um, starting out as an accountant all those, all those years ago, working mm-hmm. with family businesses. To working with family offices in, in my banking days, to then be able to bring together what was sort of a boutique and and a significant institutional resource into into one space.
0: Yeah, that's quite a varied career. And obviously having studied sort of um, yeah sciences uh, uh- you know, those subjects at university and then sort of coming from that angle is quite, it was always quite interesting because usually it's the, you know, the it, sometimes you hear from the economists and, the, and and the finance students that sort of land in these jobs. <laughs> but it's, it's nice to have a variety as well, isn't it? It's, it's interesting. Everyone's kind of brings something else to the table. Um, so as I mentioned in my introduction, you obviously spoke at um, our annual private wealth forum uh, this year, um, uh, specifically on the, the changing families, increased mobility and generational handover panel session. Um, you spoke on the panel about this, Um, uh, about this but 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 you can elaborate as to what how the approach towards families has changed since you began in the industry so you know just tell us about how things have changed over the last you know 10 or so years and 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 since you yeah since you arrived in in that in in the industry if you like
1: of course I mean mean, it's actually really quite a broad question um I've had a broad career as as you said uh when I look at what we offer and show this family offer service it's a very broad offering it's uh, not just pure family office services, but obviously you've got philanthropy alongside it, banking, lending, um, investments—a uh, huge range of services that, that families that families need. So there's a lot of different um, different points I could I could I could focus on, but I, I think maybe if I was to pick a general trend, it would be a broadening of families' interest, but a narrowing, a focusing on skills and objectives, and and frankly, a, a lot more professionalisation in in what family offices are all about. Um, so maybe I focused on three, three of those parts I mentioned, um, the family office itself, maybe the approach to philanthropy and, and investments. Um, your family offices, if you go back 10 years, uh, a lot of them were pretty informal, those single family offices I was interacting with across London, um, often a friend of a friend running, running the enterprise for the family, uh, could have come from all sorts of backgrounds, some pretty loose records and decision-making, uh, lots of Excel, uh, lots of... Um, testing out new waters and, and finding their feet. It was quite a different world to the world today that, that I find us working in, which is very professionalized, where we have families' records recorded in a framework document where there's procedures around payments, uh, where everything is, is recorded, everything is reported through consolidated reporting apps. It's it's a whole different beast to, to what it was ten years ago, and, and I think that's, that's probably a good thing, in all honesty. Um, mm. But but it's it's allowed families to go along that that journey and actually get the most out of what they're what they're doing. Um, if I was to think about philanthropy, um, I think families have become a lot more focused on the difference between charity and philanthropy itself. With philanthropy being the aim of changing something for the better, and not necessarily just about giving money. It's about the processes and, and and finding sustainable solutions for problems in the world. Um, obviously, it's a big part of what we do. We have a philanthropy team here at Schroder's and in our wealth management business at Casenove who help families put the right people around them to tackle those issues and, and to really get the most out of it. Um, and then last, I suppose, on the on the investment front, um, I mean, family offices uh, have never had more opportunity to invest in different things. The range of asset classes you can go into is huge. Um you won't be surprised to hear that the private assets has been the big sort of driver over the last few years. If I was to look into the Schroders stable, what we've seen in Schroder's capital, uh, where they're offering uh, private equity, real estate, some green infrastructure. I mean, it's, it's been a huge success. Um, and, and that's really mirrored the trend in the industry as a whole. Uh, families want those asset classes. Um, I think what I'd say is the real change is they tend to home in on, fewer larger positions in private companies, uh, in infrastructure assets, um, or delegating to more professional institutionalized providers. Um, I think gone are the days of the sort of fairly loose pick and mix approach to to choosing private assets, turning up some conferences, meeting someone over a coffee and deciding it's a good idea. those days are long gone. I think, unfortunately, lots of people have, have seen it, you know, the downside of, of that approach. So it's it's really, I suppose the industry as a whole has, has, has really uh, fine-tuned and, and focused on, on what it's delivering for the families. Mm.
0: And I appreciate I'm going a little bit off script here, but I, I have to pick up on that point you made around philanthropy, because it's an mm. interesting trend, because obviously we hear lots of talk around, uh, you know, the rise of sustainability, impact investing, um in conjunction with sort of next you know this whole next gen um these themes and issues all in tandem but actually it was an interesting point you made there in the the sense that actually whilst um whilst you know charity is still still here with us and as it was you know 10 or more years ago actually this idea that philanthropy is a long-term process and project that a family commits to over the long term how does that contrast with the rise of sustainability over the last few years and and the rise of impact investing in your mind
1: I'm not sure if I'd say contrast. I, I, I think they're hmm. additive towards each other. I, I think um, the word sustainability in people's minds is often equated with all things green, uh, with hmm. the type of investing. But actually, if you're thinking about philanthropy, what you want is a sustainable solution, i.e. something that can continue forever, uh, and can really solve a problem. And, and those are often structural issues. And um I'm privileged enough to work for some very successful entrepreneurs who've used their, their their brain, their nows, their entrepreneurial skills to solve problems in their respective industries, who've now turned to philanthropy and view it as, as what they term venture philanthropy, where they're where they're trying to put meaningful capital in that can unlock change in, in sectors and cause you know long-term, uh long-term ongoing solutions to problems, uh, which which Cannot be just fixed by just applying money it's i suppose it's, it's it's the concept of give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime and, mm. and I think that's the same in, in many of the philanthropic causes that people that people target um, and certainly with um you know the generations coming through in families they're very attuned to the externality of their decisions in life, and the more that they can get involved in this, the more they can um, improve the lives of others around them they're really keen to do
0: it certainly um- so turning back to Private Wealth Forum now and, and continuing you know, the discussion there, um, we also heard from Katie Royals of PAM Insight and mm-hmm. Private Client, um, who joined us in September on this podcast, actually, to talk about the the latest PAM Insight research report uh, commissioned by Guernsey Finance, which, of course, launched at the event um, on the 2nd of November. Um, one particular finding from that report was that high net worth families consider um, political stability to be one of the kind of you know, most important kind of key tenants or factors, if you like, in choosing a jurisdiction for, for wealth domiciliation ahead of sort of geographic location and tax neutrality as well, which was an interesting, um, you know, mix, no doubt in the last, you know, again, looking back to 10, 15 years ago, that, that, that toss up might have slightly been different, but that's where we seem to stand now. What, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I mean, I think it's a very fair observation. Um, I mean, I'll take it back to the sort of the first questions. We, we talked about families having their broadening of interests, um, but a narrowing and a professionalisation of, of the way they're approaching their family offices. Uh, and I, my personal observation is it's very similar in the choice in some way you're going to domicile your wealth, actually. Um, it's been a, a pruning of the tree, is, is what I observe. Um, I've um, worked with families who've got quite extensive structures and networks, which have been set up for very good reasons, you know, back in the day. But now they're thinking: actually, do you know what? Do I need all these structures around the world? But the the, the administrative costs and and the, the hassle that comes, it, I'd rather narrow down, focus on on fewer jurisdictions which are more stable and and simpler to deal with. Um, so I think it actually there's a reflection about general trend in family offices that you're seeing in, in the same jurisdictions that uh, in the jurisdictions that people choose to have their their wealth um, you know, we see it in banking on Schroders' side. We have a um, very stable and 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 secure balance sheet, and that's been really reassuring to, um, yeah, you know, be really reassuring to investors and clients over, over the years. Um, you know, why would you choose the risky bank? Uh, and I suppose I'd say the same in in choosing the jurisdiction to domicile your wealth. Why would you choose the risky one when when there's much more stable ones out there? Um, if I was to crystal ball gaze, you know, what what's the future look like? Um, in our wealth management business at Kasnev Capital, one of our one of our trends uh, that, that we point to is what we call the three Ds, which are demographics, um, deglobalization, and decarbonization. And I think in that deglobalization piece, there's an element of friend-shoring. And I think mm-hmm. that's important. We see it a lot in, um, if you like, in some of the emerging markets where they're, they're centering on, on different uh, parts of the world, but also closer to home. And, and I think that friend trend will be extended to um, to jurisdictions as as well.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, and and we see advisors developing a keen interest in business opportunities in the Middle East, um, which over the last few decades has seen enormous sort of wealth generation as a, you know, as a result of sort of the economics of the resource uh, rich region that, that that area of the world is. And how are advisors able to learn from their own and their colleagues' experiences in Europe? with the, the long-established families that they've worked with, you know, for many years now to better implement and approach, uh, you know, approach the, the work they do with these emerging families, if you like, in these sorts of regions.
1: I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I, I um, personally haven't worked directly with Middle Eastern families, but I've got a lot of experience with Northern European families, uh, which, is, which is where the families I work for are based. Um, and, and I think as an observer of the Middle Eastern region, uh, one thing that's hard to miss is there are a number of very successful businesses which are the backbone of, of, of delivering their economy there, which are actually owned by families, right? Um, and they haven't gone through a flotation or public offering process that, that you have in, in many of the European countries or, or, or in North America. So I suppose what that means is fast forward to this period in time where those families have grown in number, more geographically dispersed. Um, the Middle East, Middle East has to get that right, that succession point. Because if they don't actually the economies in those countries are going to face some real challenges if a family feud over the um, over a key business and sort of a power business or a water utility, if a family feud between two siblings means it can't function and the actually the region gets impacted by it. so it's actually really really key that that's um, addressed and thought about um, I, I think you know one of my observations for the northern from northern European families. A lot of those that are based in civil law jurisdictions have often uh, relied quite heavily, or taken comfort in in the prescribed inheritances that they have, and and that's nice. It's it's a good starting point. Um, But as we see those family members move into different jurisdictions, uh, be that other civil law ones, or maybe even into common law ones. they start to raise their hand and question what's right and what's fair and that maybe some of these inheritance and succession issues should be tackled a different way rather than what's prescribed. So I suppose by extension, if you were to turn to the Middle East um, and apply that, you'd be thinking, well, hold on, if they're going to rely on Sharia law, yet some of the family members are now educated in the US or are living in London, it might actually not be the way they're expecting this is going to play out. So, um, so I suppose you know, what, what can advisors learn I think it's looking at what's happened in Northern Europe, looking at some of those families, trying to get ahead of the game and engage with those uh, families in the Middle East to have a good, healthy dialogue on what they want to happen and what they think is going to happen. Because um, it won't just impact the family, it could, could impact the region as, as a whole in terms of their economy.
0: Mm, so there's actually the wider you know, the wider importance of actual sure. geographic stability and also geopolitical stability to that point as well. Um, Sort of following up on that and um, referring, but also re- referring back to the managing managing changing families research report, which launched at the event, um, some other key differences between regions arose uh, as well as between families, if you like, um, and the findings found that, for example, the adoption of technology was seen as much more important amongst for example u s families at sixty five percent against middle eastern families at slightly lower fifty two percent How can and, and should managers approach this difference if you like. Mm.
1: Well, I think that's—I mean, it's, it's a really fair observation. I, I think technology is becoming increasingly important. Um, you can understand in, in different regions of the world, they're having different speeds at, at, um, uh, of adoption. Uh, but I think this is a one-way street when it comes to technology. I mean, it's uh, families want it more and more. I, I observe amongst the families I, I work for that they're, they're keener than ever to have everything in one place, to be able to see it digitally. We have consolidated reporting apps to do that. You have to access their documents. We have secure portals that families can have. The the challenge for for family offices is is really the cost of it. Um, For a lot of single family offices to establish those is is fairly prohibitive. Um, So it's really about um, being able to partner with other other people. Um, Mm. How how can advisors as a whole make the most of this? I I think it's key for them to point out that within generations of families, as well as those in different regions, there's going to be different demands for technology and access to information. Um, some of the families I work for see it as a key part of the communication within the family, and there's an emergence of a series of websites, a bit like Facebook, but for families themselves, just to share information on, on what, on where they're going. So, so, I think it's important that advisors know they've got to interact with that technology, they've got to be able to provide their information into it, uh, and they're very, um, how would I put it, awake um, and quick to point out the challenges with security on that, because the families, have all of their information available. Obviously, presents a, a risk for them.
0: And and looking back at the event on the on the panel, you discussed how succession is a much broader topic um, than many typically view it as being. Um, how has this process evolved as the younger generation becomes, I suppose, more financially involved in the family um, and the family business? And where has discussions around their aims changed as this dispersion of, of, of families increases? If you like, I guess, geographically speaking.
1: Well, I'm really pleased you picked up on that because I mean you're absolutely right. I mean it's one of our um, one of our key messages is is that family success is not just a, a number. It's it's about more than financials. And um, and as I said at the time, it's dangerous to to assume that succession is all about tax. We 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 run um, processes for families to to build their family charters to put together constitutions for them. And when I ask families what they want for their children, the number one message is health and happiness, right? Above all else, it's it's health and happiness. Um, the challenge comes around, um, how do you actually achieve those? And um, historically, I think there has been a tend to have a prescribed definition of happiness. What uh, mm. worked for one generation will definitely work for the next. You will join the family business. You will follow this route. But actually, we all know that we're different, right? And, and through different generations, families change and... Um, And so it's really key that we have those conversations early on. We see greater success amongst those families that target values uh, and target purpose and fulfillment in their family's life. And that way they can build on something together rather than building on a prescribed objective, which may or may not suit the family members. Um, So I think the big evolution uh, to come back to it, is families are actually talking about this. They're talking about it in closed, secure environments where people can safely bring to the table their their views. Uh, and I think that's great, right? You know, we want to make sure that, that families succeed, they thrive in the ways that all the family members want.
0: And among the millennials and the younger generation and the and and you know, the next gen and all these sort of these other buzz terms that kind of encapsulate that 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 rise of of the next uh the next generation to come there is a keen interest in in using their wealth to be good global citizens again these are kind of um you know i guess themes and issues we hear a lot a lot about you know on, a, on an almost if not daily basis now um and it's something that's of course reflected in the, in the new research report we've launched um from those discussions and and your own experience how are the younger generations seeking to to become good global citizens if you like in practice you know what, what does what does what do the actual real um in real time steps mean for that for that to kind of come to fruition if you like
1: well i mean you're absolutely right the generation coming through are as i mentioned earlier more aware of their externalities i.e., the, the impact of the decisions they make on life than any of the generations before and um and that's fantastic right um I think they're very aware that the big challenges in their lifetime are going to come from the environment, are going to come from societal challenges, and they rightfully want to address those um, in as many ways as they can. Uh, That's where they work, how they travel, uh, the decisions they they make, how they invest. Um, Those decisions won't be perfect, but at least they can try. Um, So how how do we see that manifest itself across the families we work for? Clearly, there's a lot more uh, focus on in the family business on what it entails, what it involves, where it's going in, in the future. Um, and those discussions are much broader than maximising profit, which it may have been coming out of, for, for the executives coming out of business school 20 years ago, it, it's a much broader mm. conversation. But also, we're seeing a lot more metrics being mo- measured by families, uh, carbon footprint of the family and the investment portfolios in the travel, in the businesses, and um, how is the family giving back? How are we working with our different, different pillars of success? And that's brilliant. You know. It's, it's a wider, broader conversation. And, and I think the sooner people embrace that, the better. It's not for everyone. But I think if you've got family members that are keen to d- discuss that, you've got to have everyone around the table engaged in that, in that conversation.
0: Mm, certainly and and following directly on from that um because at the event at the private wealth Forum, you you also spoke about how sustainable investing is perhaps no longer sort of alternative or sort of you know on the fringes idea it's actually very much in the mainstream um and not just with next gen actually with, with all generations in many respects now how have advisors looked to educate themselves about these causes and embrace the adaption of the likes of you know fiduciary duty um as encouraged you know by the likes of the un ep for example how do you know how are advisors and and managers educating themselves on on these issues
1: well i think maybe just to to pick up on the last point you mentioned on the un i mean they have they've done a great job in, in pointing out that any advisor with a fiduciary duty really has to be thinking about their client's interests first and prioritizing the, the prioritizing those over themselves and you think that's intuitive in what you do but it's unfortunately not always been the case. Um, And in that regard, one of the points they stress is that the evaluation of environmental, social governance factors in decision making um, and in in evaluating options for the future is actually key in that. Um, I think wind the clock back 10 years ago, and there was a historic assumption that embedding esg evaluation into your decisions whether that's business whether that's investment whether that's in your choice about how you approach your life would have a negative consequence i think that's no longer the case i think we're past that that, that conversation um, we talked earlier about um our wealth management business at casner capital and that we've got um, our three d's and, and i suppose one of those d's is, is decarbonization and we see that that that, um, that theme playing out across um, across what we do um, and i suppose whatever your views on esg uh we are moving to a low carbon world you've got to adjust your your life to it um otherwise you'll be left behind um i suppose to bring back some quite high level points to to something a bit more closer to home if i was to think about my my father christmas list for this year that's going up the chimney soon um uh something that's on it is is an autonomous lawnmower um obviously i determined to have a nice green lush lawn but, but you know, why is it on there it's 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 a lawnmower that's going to cut my grass it's going to be cheaper than a man and it's going to be powered by the solar panels it plugs into and what's fascinating about that is we're at this tipping point where that's a sort of part financial part environmental led decision but what it means the corollary of it is that the person that makes the lawnmower the person that repairs it the people that provide the lawn mowing service they're looking at stranded assets and I know that's a really simple example, but you can extend that a lot further in life. And so, for the advisors that are that are really awake to this and, and 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 are really got their finger on the pulse, they're aware that if they're not considering these options, they may be left with assets, whether it's business assets, whether it's property, that are actually stranded for one reason or, or another. And so, we're finding advisors are more and more um, keen to learn, to um, to absorb information, to to sort of. To seep into their ecosystem, uh, threats that, that may be coming for their coming along the line for their families, and to rightfully put those onto the table, even at times where it's challenging for families to consider it.
0: And just to finish up um, with a final question, there have been um, you know several reports in the last few years, sort of various publications that have talked about this trend. Um, Towards you know the next gen as they take wealth, being unlikely to stay uh, with their parents or, or their parents' parents advisor, perhaps if this is a, a bit of a dynasty approach. Um, yeah. How is the industry approaching this? Because actually, this could be, um, if, if handled incorrectly or, or wrongly, could be potentially destructive.
1: Well, that's a, it's a great question and a really great question to, to follow your previous question, because um, so many in the industry think about this the wrong way round, actually. Um, and in fact, I guess if I'll go so far as say If you're worried about this, then it's probably too late. And by that, I mean not too late for the industry, but too late for the family. If you've got a family with such big dispersions and views between a generation, that it's perfectly clear to you as an advisor to that family that there's going to be a big pivot when it comes to the next generation, your job might be at risk, then clearly you're ignoring the problem at the table, which is the difference in opinions. We're in the business of helping families make the most out of opportunities having a dialogue between the family members. We want to solve that chasm in the family rather than worry about, haven't we have we got in there with the next generation to secure our place? Mm. Because that's fundamentally, as we were talking about in the previous question, about putting the client's interests first and solving those over your own. So I suppose the key thing is to recognize that families are dynamic, that things do change between the families, within the families. And the most important thing for an advisor is to make sure that they've got a good team of people around them, that your EQ antennae are sort of on full power and that you're picking up where their difference is. Because in that way you can help the family get what they really want to do, um, discussed, agreed amongst them, and then help them thrive as, as a family. And I think if you're doing that, then you'll probably find that um, you know, your job is secure if that's what you're, you're worried about, but that mm-hmm. the family's uh, future will, will be secure. And I, and I suppose that, you know, what are the things we're looking for? We're, 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 we're trying to work out why they feel so differently from each other, who isn't listening, what they can do to change. And indeed, there's a bit of a bombshell at the end of your, your, your podcast, but should they even stay together as a family unit? Sometimes it's not the best option. You might need to go their separate ways. But I, I suppose, you know, above all else, you know, the most important thing for advisors to be doing is to be focusing on what that client really needs um, and then let the other bits fall in place around that.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Sam.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. It was a real pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you. And uh, thank you for for joining us on the podcast. It was great to hear you talk about some of the the points you raised at Private Wealth Forum in greater detail. Thanks also to you for listening. Um, If you enjoyed the discussion, we have a backlog of interviews on the We Are Guernsey podcast channel. You can check them out by searching for We Are Guernsey on your preferred podcast platform. We also have links to Sam and Schroeders and Casanova in our show notes, so check them out to hear more from them. To find out more about Guernsey and its specialist financial services sector, head over to our website, weareguernsey.com. We look forward to welcoming you back to the podcast soon, but until then, it's goodbye from Guernsey.